Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Everything is Orange edition. My name is Brent Whitmire, I'm an editorial and features writer, and I'm here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday, September 18th. It's been an interesting week in the Press Gallery. The Journal has rebranded, and it's an NDP conspiracy. Well, no. <laughs> we had our second leaders debate in this federal election, where we learned that everything is part of the economy, and Premier Rachel Notley found herself explaining about an embarrassing cousin. We'll talk about all that, plus the state of our drinking water. As always on the Press Gallery, I promise this is an open floor debate. Here in the studio, before they've had a chance to interject, we have City Columnist Paula Simon. I already interjected. That's true. Uh, reporter on all things, Sheila Pratt. Hello. And making his uh, Press Gallery debut, National Post reporter Tristan Hopper, the interloper. Hello, interloping. <laughs> I think I'm better than all of you local Edmonton Journal folks. <laughs> Okay, that's Two it. One. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I have to say, you all look fantastic. He what? says, Trisha and I have to break it to you. He yeah. says that every, every week. week. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm actually blind. I'm uh, wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> Let's start with last night's debate. We came into this debate at a virtual deadlock. All three parties basically at 30%. Uh, did anybody make any headway last night? No. They came in tied. They left tied. Uh, I, think, I think Harper had a very good night. I shocked a lot of people on Twitter by saying that I thought he'd won the debate, which had people calling me a Conservative Party shill, which I'm sure will be a shock to people who are regular readers of my work. But I thought Harper had a good night. He looked relaxed. He got off some pretty good one-liners. His body language suggested that he was like the older brother watching the two little brothers scrap in the corner. I think that if anybody gained any ground at all, it was maybe Justin Trudeau, who looked more authoritative than he did in the first debate, where he looked a bit green and deer in the headlights uh, and I think that if you think of this debate that Harper already has his support locked in mm -hmm. and it's not likely to move that really what we're looking at is a fight between Mulcair and Trudeau for the people who don't want to vote for Stephen Harper and I think if that's the measure I think Trudeau was the only one who was able to nudge the dial a bit because I think whether or not you agree with his economic strategy he explained it pretty eloquently. He looked more at ease than he did in the first debate. I think if you were a partisan, there was nothing there that changed your mind. I think if you were undecided and a progressive, maybe you saw something that would shift you from Mulcair to Trudeau or shift you from undecided to Trudeau. But I think it's a it's a very narrow measure. Sheila, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with Paula. It's, there was no knockout punch. There was no big moment that someone soared ahead and took the evening, that's for sure. I think Paula's also right that Trudeau did better, performed slightly better than the last debate, which mm -hmm. was what he needed to do because it shows that he is, you know, learning from uh, all his experiences on the campaign trail and he's moving ahead. So I think that that is, that is also true. I think sometimes he was a bit aggressive in the talking over business, mm -hmm. but he was obviously trying to make a point that um, he's the guy. And uh, I think Mulcair was uh, interestingly, I love the positioning of him in the middle, which is exactly where he's trying to make himself be in this yes. campaign. He's trying to be the, uh, the uh, moderate person between the uh, deficit creating Trudeau and, and the uh, tax cutting prime minister. So that was kind of an interesting dynamic there. Who did you see winning, Tristan? Uh, I saw the National Post winning uh, because <laughs> the Globe and Mail basically had a two-hour ad for the Globe and Mail, and they just took political, random political news that didn't make any sense, and they front-loaded it with 20 minutes of boring. So <laughs> I think a whole country is like, oh, what's this Globe and Mail up to? And they're like, oh, here's this horrible, like, you know, cluster something of mm, awful, and it's boring, and our moderator doesn't make any sense, and we're ringing a bell at you. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, I, 
I, I should have said something about politics, but uh, yeah. Oh, very good. Thank well you. done. Well done, Brent. Oh, I don't think there was an moving actual on, timing. Tristan. I don't think there was a timing <laughs> to the bell. On. They gave everybody Hello. too little time and then rang a bell at them. And then there was 20 minutes of like print reporters shouldn't be allowed to appear on camera and say what they think for 20 minutes before <laughs> like what, actually, what people actually want to see. So yes, that, that was my takeaway. No, it, it is true. The format of the debate. I don't even think that David Walmsley, the editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail, did such a bad job on camera. Mm -hmm. But the format of the debate was awful. They kept asking the same kinds of questions over and over again, which allowed the leaders, all three of them, to revert to their same talking points over and over and over again. You started to think if for a moment you were on a feedback loop. I mean, the debate never seemed to go anywhere. And there was it twice no, when Walmsley said... Uh, Trudeau was saying something, and he's like, does he have a point there, Mr. Yeah. Harper? And he said, absolutely not. That happened twice. Like, what's he supposed to say? Well, actually, I think you're yeah, skating Actually, I, yeah. I think Wamsley did a, a fine job. I just think it was disappointing that all three of them stuck to. It just reminded me a little bit of, of uh, the Wild Rose debate here, where they stuck to, we won't raise your taxes. Yeah. Everybody had a theme. Um, Trudeau had one about, we'll spend on infrastructure. Harper had one about, we are the only ones who won't raise your taxes. Look at these other guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so every, it was hard to get everybody off message at some point but in the I think, campaign, and that was frustrating. But I think, you know, the debate was built as a debate on the economy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty wide ambit, and I found that the questions were very parochial, very focused on Canadian issues without really talking about the larger world issues. I mean, Canada has a very small economy. What happens internationally matters to what happens to the economy here. Uh, they didn't talk about all kinds of other socioeconomic issues. For example, I mean, the whole issue of uh, First Nations and Métis involvement in the economy here. I mean, that got one mention. Got one very slight mention. Trudeau mentioned something about, you know, uh, better education programs for, yeah. for First Nations people. There were so many areas of the economy that could have been explored instead of the regurgitation of the same tried and true slogans and, and platitudes again and again. Yeah, I don't think people really heard anything new and interesting that any one of those parties are going to do. The Tories are sticking to the Tory line. Trudeau wants to build infrastructure. The NDP have their formula, but there's there's nothing really new or exciting in any of those. So last time, last debate in August, I asked, did we actually get genuine conversation here? Did we actually get past these sort of, you know, usual talking points? And you guys think no? What would you say, Tristan? Do you, do you think there was genuine um, discussion here? Actual policy? Actual Actual debating, off? you mean? Actual debate. Like actually listening to something someone's saying responding. and then responding with a different... Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think... Uh, uh, yeah, it was. I think you could probably take every piece of that debate, and it's been said on a policy speech uh, beforehand. Now we mm -hmm. could blame it all on the Globe and Mail and their horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think uh, we heard anything new, and there was there was certainly no back and forth between them. I mean, Harper would say something he said before, and then Trudeau would say. Oh, I don't know. He said three times, it's the worst economy since World War II. Yeah, My voice yeah. isn't high enough to do a good Trudeau impression. But At one point, you know, when we said, oh, now we're going to mix up the format, I thought, oh, good, because yeah. I need to wake up here. And he said, so now, so now I'm going to ask them questions that are going to give long, long answers without interruption. Yeah. And I thought, is this the Miss Canada pageant? Are you going to ask them <laughs> if they favor world peace? You know, I wouldn't have minded if we got to see, you know, maybe Harper would play the piano and I could see Justin Trudeau in a bathing suit competition. I'd be all over that. But, you know, it was, 
I mean, the CBC was a bit snide about it. I saw Diana Swain tweeting, yes, live television is harder than it looks. <laughs> uh, in many ways, I think it's a good thing that the old consortium has broken down and that we're seeing uh, organizations like the Globe and Mail and McLean's Magazine experimenting and, and using YouTube, using social media to do these debates. You should be happy I don't, that print is doing yeah, this. I, I, I don't, I don't yes, think... Please that, buy a yeah. newspaper. I, yeah. don't think, I don't think that is a bad thing in and of itself. And I found Jesse Brown's rant on Twitter today saying this was the worst thing the CBC had ever done to not pick up the Globe and Mail debate. You know, that's ridiculous. Why is the CBC going to give free airtime to mm-hmm. Bell Globe Media? That being said, this is all new. This is like the very beginning when we first had debates on the radio. These are new media and uh, you know, I imagine that in four years when we have the next election, we will look back on these and laugh and laugh and laugh. I saw Bruce Anderson speak at the on the ad issue panel afterwards, and he said they're sort of the, the can, candidates, the three candidates are sort of narrowing down into marketable personas. Uh, you have, you know, Harper saying uh, the economy isn't perfect, but it's better than elsewhere. There's an appetite for change. So Mulcair is trying to be that appetite for change, but yet still close enough to conservative. And then Justin Trudeau is sort of pushing that other wing of change. Do you think this is what we're stuck with for the next few weeks? Well, you know, that is the $64 question. I wondered when the prime minister called an election campaign that's this many weeks long, mm-hmm. how are you going to sustain that? So obviously he's got something coming in the next month so so that the momentum won't be lost. I have no idea what it is. And I don't know about the other guys, but I'm sure Harper, who had control over the election call, he's got somewhere he's going to go that we're not aware of yet. Mm. The thing is, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, at the beginning of the campaign, nobody could have guessed that the Syrian refugee crisis would become a major issue in a Canadian election campaign. You do not know what is going to happen that is going to suddenly put a spanner in the works. And I think that's at least I'm hoping and praying not that we'll have more international <laughs> refugee crises, but that other issues will come up and we'll actually have to see these leaders think on their feet and respond to breaking news. And, and that we'll get a much better measure of, of what their governments would be like than we get through one of these canned speaking events. Are we stuck with the canned speaking event? I mean, what would it take to actually get people off and speaking a, a little more honestly? Well, what or... has it ever? Has it ever happened in a, a campaign <laughs> recently? Yes, it's, it's us people that turn them into robots because if, then, if they're candid, uh, yeah, then we, we just pounce on them. So, That's right. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, uh, I don't begrudge anybody who turns into a robot. Um, you, could, <laughs> you could look at Winnipeg. That's quite exciting. You've got Pat Martin swearing, and they found another the liberal candidates swearing back at him. So at local levels, you can find exciting things. But, I mean, when you're running a giant world's second largest landmass with every color and shape of people on Earth, yeah, you just have to be a super boring lamoid to be elected. So that's really the NDP's only chance. They can't have a charismatic, interesting guy would never be a majority prime minister. So you just have to be, look at prime ministerial history. That's why our prime ministers are so uninspiring. Uh, they're just blah. R.B. So. Bennett? Yeah, as we heard last night. <laughs> However, yeah, we don't have, we never have extremist governments. I don't think fascism would ever have a chance in Canada. We'd all just get bored and do something else. So, uh, yeah, that if you want excitement, you know, maybe pick Donald, the realm of society Donald, that Donald Trump will everything. provide that. So, yeah, exactly. Well, maybe we can move to a different level where there's more excitement. I, I don't know if there is more excitement. Moving over to provincial politics, Rachel Notley found herself in a bit of a pickle this week. She was speaking on global TV. She said. We need to balance economy and environment and, uh, you know, not be that embarrassing cousin that no one wants to talk about. Um, Did she stick an embarrassing foot in her mouth there? Well, I don't really think so. I mean, she was saying all of that long before she was elected when 
when our the governments, many years of Tory governments, talked a good line about the environment, but never really done very much. And uh, so I, I just think that the wild rose overeager is pouncing on every little thing they can get. And I thought it was a very small point. And I, I noticed she responded to it um, later, came out to uh, answer it. So she must have thought there was some issue there. But I don't know. I, I didn't find it particularly. No, I mean, I think this wild rose cleverly got some social media traction with their base. I mean, this is the kind of thing that they can spin to their base and get a lot of and get a lot of, you know, one day news cycle you know guts and glory out of it but you know i think graham thompson uh, in his column made a really good point one of the things that rachel notley has always had as a gift is that you know she connects with people is very genuine she says funny things and those of us in the media who've covered her for years uh, value that about her as premier though getting off funny one-liners is a bit more problematic and you know graham wrote a column cautioning her that she'll have to be more careful and more guarded in what she says thinking back to what Tristan just said, and in a way, it's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, don't we want politicians to every now and again speak the truth? Because, apparently you know, not. Uh, we you want know. robots. I think that's what <laughs> apparently, it, we, apparently we do want robots. So, uh, yeah. For a feature I was doing earlier this month, I was looking at old video of Stephen Harper, and he was actually pretty funny. He was on Rick Mercer, and he told jokes, and he showed up to the press gallery events, and he made fun of himself. And then as soon as he became prime minister, he's like, that's over. You're not even getting a smile from me anymore. So uh, we don't see any jokes. And the, the one we saw recently, which uh, he was touring at Tim Hortons, and they were showing him behind behind the counter. And he said, show me anything. Just don't let me touch the cash. It's kind of a funny joke. But then everybody was like, oh, Stephen Harper's telling the truth because he can't handle the cash of Canada. So, uh, yeah, I'm as... Uh, since I work for the Toronto elitist paper, I've actually haven't heard about this embarrassing cousin comment. And seeing it now, I, I really don't see what the fuss is all about. I mean, this we all have embarrassing cousins. I understand. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I mean, it, of course, it plays up this sensitivity Albertans have. We don't like to be seen because the yokels as, as, by as the, the Toronto yokel. elite. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and what she's saying is, we don't want to be seen as yokels. But the reason it touched a nerve with people is that we don't want to be seen as yokels. And so the suggestion that the premier might see us as yokels was, you know, very offensive to people who are already worried that they might be seen. See, as Quebec yokels. doesn't worry but, about that so much. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm wondering about that too, is that oversensitivity. I mean, let's have a look at the Wild Rose environmental policy, and I'm not sure what we'd find that was so representative of Albertans. But yes, no, I mean, it, it is. You do know is, there's two other very yokel filled provinces between Ontario <laughs> and Canada. We shouldn't be as sensitive. <laughs> All right. He said that. We didn't. On the, on the topic of the uh, journal's new logo, you know, that, that beautiful NDP orange, uh, it, uh, no, it's fall colors, people, not political colors. Uh, we relaunched this week, of course, and uh, it featured a week long story by Keith Gerine and Sheila on the state of the water supply in six communities around Edmonton. Sheila, obviously you didn't find any huge Walkerton-style calamities in, in waiting, um, but today you had a pretty interesting story about emerging contaminants. What do you think are policy implications of your guys' work? My colleague Keith did a wonderful analysis of all the data, which uh, showed you're correct that we, don't, we haven't had any incidents. The treatment works very well. Their, your water is very clean. So the bigger the issue that now remains is how do you keep the river clean so that your drinking water can stay clean with the levels of treatment it's getting now. So it's very interesting. There's going to have to be a way to cope with the storm water that pours into the 
river in huge quantities, taking tons and tons of sediment with it, with heavy metals, all the dirt in the streets. And as the city grows, more and more of that stuff goes into the river. So you have to do something to keep that pollution out because it's cu- accumulating and growing. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, there are these new pollutants that we didn't, nobody really knows the impact of or actually how to catch them, such as um, from pharmaceuticals. Washing your work clothes and the fire retardant comes out in the laundry and flows into the river. It's a very complicated thing. There's a $370 million plan over the next 30 years to try to keep that storm water from going into the river, and it's going to have to affect the way you build your suburbs, build your house. There's even plans for new ways to build sewage systems so you can have a little local sewage plant in your community Hmm. that will be run by power generated by your sewage. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So there are, there are plans ahead, and yes, everything is in pretty good shape, though, as long as vigilance carries on. It's time for good stuff from the gallery. Every week we share something that we've enjoyed, often but not always, with a political connection. So, Paula, this week. I am going to recommend a really remarkable essay from our own newspaper by Mark Morris, who's our classical music writer here at the Edmonton Journal. I didn't realize until yesterday afternoon that he is also the son of Jan Morris, the uh, extraordinary Welsh uh, journalist, author, and trans pioneer. I said to some of our younger colleagues, Jan Morris, and they said, who's Jan Morris? And I said, the most famous transgender person in the world. And they said, what about Caitlyn Jenner? And I said, no. Uh, (laughs) Long before. Long before as a trans pioneer. Anyway, Mark has written a beautiful essay about his relationship with his father. And, you know, it's in light of the terrible Catholic school board meeting this week where the entire school board kind of came apart at the seams arguing about whether or not to discuss a policy for transgender students in the system. So I highly recommend Mark's insightful and moving essay. And for comic relief, if you wish to punish yourself, you may watch the two and a half some hours of the (laughs) Catholic school board meeting if you want to see democracy at its most anarchic. And I think we should provide the links to both those things as kind of a a companion set. They need more robots there. Well, yes, I mean, no, no, that would, that would, (laughs) and on this front, I would recommend in my good read that we also post, repost Paula's column because she just wrote an excellent column on that meeting and the issues facing the Catholic school board. This is a very moving and difficult issue and Paula outlined some of those problems in her column very well. You also have that sort of religion in public sphere kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly, and how, how do you solve those issues? Uh, Tristan. Oh, my read? Yeah. Okay, I'm supposed to pick something from the National Post. A better read. <laughs> but, uh, Robot. I didn't. I, I will. Uh, it, it's actually a book. It was on sale on Audible, so I bought it because it was cheap. But it's interesting because uh, you hear a lot about the green sector where they say, you know, uh, our economy is being held back by fossil fuels. And if we had uh, windmills and solar, we'd all be much more prosperous. It's sort of this idea that we're actually losing money from fossil fuels. Now, 150 years ago, that same argument was being made for slavery that slavery in the the American South was actually an archaic system, and if they were all freed, everybody would be much richer. So they were sort of losing money. Uh, So this book uh, just came out, or maybe it came out a while ago, and it's just on sale now, but it's called uh, The Half Has Never Been Told, and it's uh, by historian Edward E. Baptist. And he's essentially making the point that actually enslaving people was really profitable. Um, mm-hmm. Duh. Like, you know, forcing people to do work uh, was he made billions of dollars. So that's why it was so hard to get rid of and you needed to have a horrific war to, to end it. So uh, I, I just I'm enjoying the book now because it has sort of this this moral for today that 
you probably can't make an uh, an economic argument for fossil fuels. We're gonna need have to need a, a horrible, brutal war that pits brother against brother to stop it, or something. And uh, my good stuff actually sort of it, it kind of touches on uh, sort of uh, related to that. It comes from the Atlantic, where Todd Nahasi Coates uh, has written this what will surely be a big talker for weeks to come, uh, the black family in the age of mass incarceration. And it's about the 50-year anniversary of the Moynihan Report. Uh, It's called the Negro Family. And uh, how politicians fail to sort of implement any practical solutions to the problems identified in this report. Instead, America turned to incarceration, creating a criminal justice system that has basically failed African Americans. It's a long read, but if you've only got five minutes, check out the videos. They are fantastic. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or on the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show pops up most Fridays and can be retrieved via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Edmonton Journal website. We're all on Twitter. You should check out the Journal's Facebook page and also check out the National Post's Facebook page. They have one. Oh, yes. <laughs> of Staffed by robots. <laughs> Thank you, Paula, Tristan, and Sheila for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next time where we'll discuss whether the Press Gallery logo with its sky blue background is too favorable to the Alberta party. I'm telling Jesse Brown. (laughs) That's all for now. Thanks for listening.